0: In every job that must be done, there is an element of fun, 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 fun. to and oh, wonderful. The cover is not the best, so i open it up and take a look. Ah, if it isn't the only bookworm in town. What's that word again?
1: <laughs> Inspired! or other things that you can listen to or read about involving Disney, we'll examine it here. It is finally 2020, happy new year. I hope you all had a wonderful holiday break and I am excited to bring you a whole slate of great programming ahead this year on Notably Disney. So we are nearing our one year anniversary and thus far we have had a wide array of guests representing different domains of the Walt Disney Company whether internally or just fans and connoisseurs of the company as well. We've been talking with authors, songwriters, Disney podcasters, so many different types of folks, and on this episode, I am really thrilled to bring on Jeff Krika. Now, if you've been watching Disney+, and I know you have, you are very familiar with the great programming on there. A lot of original programming, too. And one of the most exciting pieces of programming that I was anticipating was The Imagineering Story, which is a six-hour documentary produced by Leslie Iwerks, who is the granddaughter of Ubike Works, who was a very notable animator during the inception of Disney with Mickey Mouse and um, all of that jazz. So when I was Watching it, I was thinking to myself, wow, this is a great score. There's some interesting music uh, being produced here. And I had to look up the composer, and I saw that it was Jeff Krika. So I'm like, okay, have to bring Jeff on the show. And I'm really glad that he was uh, more than happy to oblige. And uh, over the next hour, you'll hear my conversation with him, learning more about his musical roots. He's also been really fortunate to play a big role on a number of Disney projects with Michael G. Kino, uh, who you know for a number of the Pixar projects and, and work for Disney more generally in the, in the theme parks as well. And through the Imagineering story, Jeff has created a very rich, very lengthy score that spans multiple episodes, six episodes. And Jeff is going to talk about that process as well. So without any further ado, here's the fantastic Jeff Cricka. So if you have viewed the sensational Imagineering Story six-part documentary series on Disney+, Plus, then you've become familiar with the musical score composed by our next guest. Jeff Cricka. is a Hollywood composer, perhaps best known by mainstream audiences for serving as an orchestrator for many recent projects with uh, Michael G. Kino, including Spider-Man Far From Home, Incredibles 2, and Coco. He has a doctorate and master's in music composition from UCLA and his bachelor's was also in music composition, uh, obtaining it from my home university here at uh, the University of Wisconsin-Madison. So go Badgers.
0: Yay. Uh,
1: (laughs) I am really appreciative that Jeff could talk with me today to discuss his amazing musical trajectory Work with Dis work for Disney with G Kino and colleagues and crafting an entire score for this really incredible imagineering story documentary. It's been my favorite thing on Disney Plus for sure. So welcome to Notably Disney Jeff.
0: Thank you. Thanks for having me, Brett.
1: Well, it's a real honor because I've been just consuming this documentary as much as possible. I'm already getting to the point where I'm watching them on multiple occasions and one salient aspect is your score and look forward to diving into all of that. But I'm hoping we could begin by talking a little bit about your musical background. Uh, When I was uh, reading up and learning more about you, I was reading through article from the Daily Bruin where you were featured and mentioning how composer Randy Newman's work was important in your life and how you grew up on film scores. Could you talk about the role of film music and music more generally in guiding your background? Sure,
0: yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, So I grew up in Rochester, Minnesota and uh, always had been exposed to movies uh, my parents sort of provided for me from a pretty early age. Uh, Some of my earliest memories were like this uh, VHS copy that we had of E.T. so I used to watch that just on loops sometimes, as, as kids do. Um, Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, the Star Wars movies. Um, I grew up in the, the 80s and the 90s. So I um, uh, sort of consumed a lot of the, the cultural output from, from that time. Uh, and it was probably when I was in... Uh, I think I was 10 years old when uh, the movie Jurassic Park came out, 1993 or 94, um, and realized that there's this whole other element that I I guess I had kind of always been aware of, but had never really paid much attention to it, um, which was the, the film soundtrack. I found myself going home after seeing that movie, Jurassic Park, and uh, remembering how the music went and going to the piano and being able to play out the main theme. And it's just something that really stuck in my memory. Um, And so it sort of opened up this whole new world of possibilities to me that I realized I'd always been interested in film and kind of thought that I wanted to be a director or an actor, I think before that point, even though I had been studying music privately, I took piano lessons and by that point, cello lessons as well. but uh, and it started composing too when I was uh, about that age so it, it was then when it dawned on me oh you can kind of put these two loves together film and music and, and, and do film music and so when I went to uh, got into high school I uh, made the decision okay I'm gonna gonna go in this trajectory and study music composition and, and eventually possibly uh, learn how to be a film composer and that's uh, sort of the direction that I took when I when I went to, to college in my undergrad at, at uh, uh, UW-Madison.
1: Wow so it sounds like music was definitely a core part of your life between playing the piano and cello. How how many hours do you imagine you know practicing on a daily basis as a, okay. as a uh, emerging adult and child? <laughs> I, I used to practice pretty incessantly. I and I, I mean, I guess at first
0: I, I didn't really enjoy it as much, the, the, the practicing aspect of it, because it's, it's a lot of work. Um, but eventually, once I started getting better at, at those instruments, I, I started to enjoy playing and practicing. So it didn't feel so much like a chore. Um, I probably spent, oh, I want to say like, three, four hours at least a day playing music um, when I was, you know, through high school. And then, and then after that, even, even more since it took up a good chunk of my, of my college life, you know, studying music. And when I, when I got into school at Madison, I, I sort of put the performance aspect of what I was doing a little bit more on the back burner. And even though I did still play cello and in the, the college orchestras um, and piano, I, I still played and studied a little bit. I really turned my focus to composition. Um, I was accepted in my undergrad as a, a piano performance major and cello performance and and composition. And uh, very quickly, I, I met all of the pianists in the um, and the, the group of piano performance majors and then the, and the, I met all the cellists in the cellist studio and um, realized I'm never going to be as good as any of you guys. I, I, I was okay. I was, I was good enough to, to get accepted uh, to school there uh, uh, doing those things, but I knew that they had all spent way, way more time and were just better than me at, at, at playing music. Um, and so uh, I, I really turned my focus very, serious, very seriously to, to composition um, once I had gotten to school at Madison and uh, I never looked back. I, I don't regret it.
1: <laughs> so to what extent were film scores factoring into both your listening habits, as you briefly referenced earlier, and also playing them on the piano, for instance?
0: Um, I would say... Uh, A good portion um, of the music that I listened to and the music that I played was film music. Um, There was uh, definitely a classical element uh, to a lot of what I was doing. Um, I mean, I I, I played a lot of Beethoven, a lot of Brahms, Tchaikovsky. but, but yeah, my, I, 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 would, I don't know what the percentage breakdown would be, but it, it was probably something like 50-50 or, or if not more. Um, yeah, uh, I, I definitely enjoyed listening to film music. And I, like I said, I, I grew up in the 80s and 90s, so that was, was really my, my frame of reference was a lot of the movies from around that time period. Um, a lot of the Williams scores that I, I had mentioned, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark, E.T., uh, Jurassic Park. Um, uh, I think some of the first film scores that I ended up buying on CD were, were those ones, if I remember correctly. Um, I had a, a copy of Jerry Goldsmith's uh, Air Force One that I really enjoyed. That was 1997, I think. And also a lot of the Disney movies, too, the animated films uh, from the 90s, I I really enjoyed uh, listening to the scores of those, not just the songs, but also the scores. Uh, Usually on the CD releases, there was a a section that was uh, devoted to to the scores. Um, So for those would be like The Lion King or Pocahontas or um, uh, Beauty and the Beast uh, were ones that I listened to. Um, and my family enjoyed listening to them too, so that was another thing that I enjoyed doing with them. It's not something I was just doing on my own, although I did listen to a lot of music on my own, but I uh, um, uh, enjoyed listening to it with them. And, and my family was big Disney fans too. We uh, would go to uh, um, pretty much every single vacation we took while I was growing up was to Walt Disney World <laughs> in Orlando.
1: Very cool. Collective enjoyment, it sounds like, in that sense. Yep, definitely.
0: Yeah, And the, my family, while they were not musical, they were always very encouraging of, of me doing musical things. Uh, first, probably, they assumed as a hobby, kind of, you know, just a, a general interest. Oh, Jeff's, you know, we had him start piano lessons. Oh, now he's starting to compose music for piano. That's great. Um, and they, they were always very supportive of, of what I wanted to do. And when I told them that I wanted to go into studying music, uh, at first I think there was a slight hesitation, like, you know, maybe he'll, he'll, you know, do that, but he'll also do my parents were both computer programmers before they retired. Um, and uh, maybe, maybe there was a possibility that I was going to do something more along those lines. But once I started really studying music seriously in college, uh, there was very little else I think that interested me, um, other than music. (laughs) So, uh, it was just sort of, that's the, the path that I ended up going down and, and seemed to do pretty well with it. So, uh, yeah, it was always, always uh, an enjoyment of mine. And then it became a serious way of life (laughs) very gradually over, over many years.
1: So let's explore that a little bit more. So I know that you attained the first prize in the Turner Classic Movies Young Film Composers Competition. Right. What what was it like to eventually kind of immerse yourself in this world of film scores, film music as a career direction?
0: Yeah, that was really like a really big moment for me. I remember remember when I won that award because I was... I, uh, I think it happened in, in 2006, which was the year that I graduated from my undergrad at Madison and was given this award before I knew, if I'm remembering the timeline correctly, before I knew that I had been accepted at UCLA. So it was kind of this this gray area period of, you know, what's next, um, and then to win that uh, at that time was was a really gratifying thing for me and really I think helped prove not just to myself but to my family that I was sort of gonna gonna do all right in in film music um that uh, I at least had a knack for it and uh um was going to be able to be somewhat successful um although nothing's ever a guarantee you don't don't know uh, how things will turn out but but yeah, that was, was definitely a really big moment for me. Um, that competition, unfortunately, I don't think exists anymore. I really wish it did. Uh, it was a great online competition where composers would you, would, you would see these clips that Turner Classic Movies had of uh, uh, silent films that they had in their archives, but they couldn't release them because they didn't have scores that were associated directly with the film. So, uh, you know, these would would have been films where the uh, when they were played in the in the movie houses back in the day, they would have just had improvised scores by, uh, you know, an organist maybe or a pianist or a violinist, you know, small ensembles. So I uh, what I did was I had written uh, the way the competition was was organized was they posted uh, several 60 second scenes from the silent film. And the uh, contestants, they submitted their scores online for those scenes, and then they were judged. Um, I think at that point it had been... The, the contest was started by uh, Elmer Bernstein as the, uh, as the head judge, but he had passed away in the previous year, I think, that I, I won the competition. And so my year it was, uh, it was Hans Zimmer, and uh, he, he judged the, the competition and picked, I think, the top five... And then they brought the top five uh, placement, uh, the top five placed uh, uh, contestants out to Los Angeles, and then they gave us a new. This was a ninety-second scene, and we scored that, and then uh, I won first prize from from that. So um, that was definitely a, a really cool moment for me, because as part of this competition, not only was I learning that I could definitely do film music. Um, Aside from just regular composition, but also I got to meet a lot of my film music idols. I remember I met Hans Zimmer, I met David Newman. Um, there was there was a bunch of people there that were part of that, involved in that uh, competition, um, that came to the awards ceremony. So uh, it was it was definitely a really big moment where I got to meet like all of my <laughs> all of my uh, my celebrity uh, uh, you know people that I, I grew up listening to and admiring.
1: Well maybe it's served as a sense of foreshadowing of what your career would end up being in working in Hollywood. How did how did things move on from that point because I know you said you were just out to start grad school at UCLA but mm-hmm. in what ways were you trying to if at all enter the industry?
0: Well at that point um I wasn't doing very much. Uh, it was was really about getting out to to Hollywood and UCLA first. Um I uh, knew that I wanted to, to go to uh, school at either UCLA and USC, and UCLA accepted me, so I went there um, and was there for five years. I did my master's, which I got in uh, 2008, and then my PhD, which was uh, 2011, and it was only once I had moved out to LA that I, I really started getting more directly involved in, um, in, in film music. Um, one of my great mentors that I studied with at UCLA was a a film composer, film and television composer, a guy named Paul Chihara. Um, And uh, I learned a lot from him. He was a, you know, a pencil and paper kind of really, really well studied uh, uh, concert composer um, who also had, had done work um, in in the film and and television world. Um, So he's somebody that I, I learned a lot from, uh, about the process, about, um, uh, just technique and, uh, and I worked, worked for him for a little while too, while I was a student, um, uh, copying his music out and, uh, really learning how to use the, um, uh, the software, uh, to, uh, um, uh, to, to, notate music and got very, very fast, uh, working with him and, uh, and learned a lot from him. He was a really, really great guy to, to study with and to um, sort of travel around with. He was always, you know, giving premieres and, you know, writing commissions and, you know, learning how to work with musicians. And, uh, it was, was something that I couldn't have gotten otherwise. It's not, not really something you can really read in a book about how to, how to do. You really have to have the experience of, of doing it. Um, to really to really learn how to you know to be a composer
1: nice so it sounds like that hands-on experience especially with having such strong mentorship was really pivotal in in shaping who you have become
0: yes yeah Yeah, it definitely definitely was Um, yeah like I said you know it's it's there's so many books written about about music composition and, you know, can learn all these rules in school. Um, but, but really just practical application is, is really the only way to learn and get better um, at, at doing that. Um, you know, you're going to learn so much uh, in front of an orchestra when an orchestra is playing a piece of music of yours. You're going to make, you know, tons and tons of like little mental notes to yourself about things to do differently the next time, you know, even after having written many pieces for orchestra and orchestrated many pieces for orchestra, every time I'm in front of an orchestra now, I'm, I'm still learning new things about how to, you know, better, you know, do do this the next
1: time. Gotcha. Yeah. Could, could you maybe talk a little bit about how you came to meet and eventually work with Michael Giacchino Because I know much mm-hmm. of your film score career has been in alignment with him.
0: Yes. Yeah, that was. So after um, uh, I'd been a student for several years at UCLA, um, when you're, I don't know, maybe you experienced this at Madison, but uh, the way the the UCLA uh group is, is set up, the um, group of composers, but also just all the musicians that are at the School of Music. We're on these these listservs, um, these email chains that uh, people can solicit uh, work from uh, musicians, from composers that are students by emailing the, the college. And so as a composer, maybe Several times a day, you get these emails about help me out on this project or that project, and um, most of the time, I would generally ignore those emails or just wouldn't be able to. It wasn't right for me, or wouldn't I wouldn't have been able to help out. Um, But there was an email that came in. I think it was 2010. uh, An email that came from uh, um, who was uh, it was a conductor. Of a, uh, a youth orchestra and they were premiering this piece um, by a composer I didn't know um, her name was Andrea Datsman and uh, is this premiering uh, it was this concert work by this this, this composer and uh, they needed a uh, somebody to help out um, do part extraction and what that is is when you um, when you write a piece for orchestra, you're, you're usually writing it these days in, in music notation software. Um, Sibelius or Finale are the two really common music programs that get used today. Um, and so they needed somebody who was fluent in Sibelius, which I was, um, to basically take the full score and extract all the, the players' parts. From, uh, from the full score. So that's a, a whole process that uh, you have to do where you have to format each individual part. So the players, you know, the first violins, the oboe, the tuba, they all have their own music and it's all properly formatted and uh, has all the correct information in it that they need to play their part. Um, so this is something that I had done many times myself just as a composer of my own music. Um, and knew that I could help this person out uh, doing this uh, fairly easily. Um, and so I just responded to that email, uh, an email that had been sent out to everybody, and uh, responded to that and very quickly met this composer and found out that she was actually, uh, at that point, the, uh, the main uh, scoring coordinator for Michael Giacchino. Um, and so uh, I met her and met Michael pretty soon after that. And almost immediately they asked me to work with them on their the current film that they had been working on, which was um, the, the Matt Reeves vampire film, Let Me In. Uh, and uh, it was a little bit more of a lower budget project. And so I was uh, brought in uh, you know, to help out with that and uh, basically do the same kind of thing on, on that score, which was create all the, the, the players parts um, and and sort of help with that process. And so that was back in 2010, and I've been working with them ever since. It was a really uh, fortuitous meeting. Uh, I uh, am very grateful that I, I answered that email. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, every, every project with Michael um, following that, it was always... Sort of doing something more, the next step of an- another layer of responsibility. Um, and uh, yeah, I graduated in 2011, so my time sort of overlapped uh, um, working with him and, and being a student. And then once I had graduated, I sort of moved into, um, by that point, working with them a little bit more full time. Uh, but also at the same time, I was was working uh, with other composers, working on my own, uh, teaching, doing a lot of different different things. Um, yeah, uh, I could I could talk more about my career with him uh, if if you'd like. Would that be good to go into right now?
1: Yeah, let's let's okay. move into that. Actually, I know if I'm not mistaken, please correct me, Jeff. Was your first Disney project with him John Carter?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, probably yes. Uh, before that, um, I can't think of any other other Disney projects that would have come up. Yeah, it was probably John Carter, which was a really great score that he wrote, and uh, really, really enjoyed working on that that project. Um, the film too, I, I really enjoyed a lot. I feel like I've been very fortunate, uh, not just meeting Michael, who's such an amazing person, but um, you know, the projects that he works on are of such a high quality. And, um, you know, the, uh, uh, John Carter in particular, I, I really enjoyed working on. And he wrote such a great, you know, old-fashioned kind of, uh, um, you know, epic Western kind of score uh, for that. And, uh, yeah, I really, really enjoyed working
1: with the orchestra on that one. <laughs> oh, my gosh, that's one of my favorite uh, Disney film scores of all time, that mm-hmm. alongside Tomorrowland. And, oh, that's uh, incredible. Really
0: yeah, <laughs> all good, yeah.
1: <laughs> so, so I have to ask, being, being very uh, intimately involved in the process of making this all happen, could you explain the role of serving as an orchestrator, what that actually translates to in developing the film score that all of us eventually hear in the film?
0: Yeah, sure. So for every composer, the, their process is different. Um, but generally what the orchestrator's responsibility is, is to, um, provide the, the final full score, the full conductor's score that, uh, eventually, um, ends up on the scoring stage, uh, that everybody's reading from, uh, and, uh, um, in Michael's case, uh, so he's he's writing in a, a sequencer program called Digital Performer. Um, most composers these days work uh, in some kind of sequencer program, which essentially allows you to mock up the the orchestra using samples. Um, in, in your main template, you can have hundreds of, of instruments loaded, um, and they, they usually set it up so that at the very top, you've got... The woodwinds and then the brass below that and then percussion and then strings it's basically laid out like a a full score is a full conductor score is on the page where you've got all the instruments available to you um, to, to work with that you might want um and uh when the composer's writing they're they're writing in a digital format that's known as midi Um, and midi is i don't know if you've ever seen like um piano scrolls like from player pianos Uh, but but piano scrolls also like if you go to youtube you can watch you know videos of, of people uploading uh piano scrolls um so that form of notation is not something that musicians read normally uh so uh basically what my job is, first and foremost, is to, once Michael's finished writing a cue, is to basically translate uh, the cue in the form that it's in when it comes from him uh, uh, to a form that musicians can read. So um, I extract the the MIDI file from from his sequencer and open up that MIDI file in a music notation program. And the one that I use is Sibelius uh, Finale, is the other really common one. Um, and, uh, and I, I start notating it for the orchestra. Um, and in the form that it comes from him, it's as, as you might imagine with the, the technology that's available, he's able to mock up the, the orchestra using these samples so that he and the director can basically hear sort of a demo of the music, the way that it's approximately gonna sound with the orchestra um it's not perfect but it gives you a really good good idea of of what it's going to be so there isn't a lot of guessing then uh, on the part of the director Whereas in the old days, you know, they didn't have this technology, so uh, it would have been the composer maybe at a piano, kind of clumsily clunk- clunking out some some notes on the piano, and <laughs> saying, "You have to imagine that this is going to be, you know, played by a trumpet." And you know, who knows if the, the director knows that the trumpet's trumpet and not a French horn or something <laughs> in terms of mu- musical literacy. So um, there was a, a lot more trust, I think, that they uh, uh, in, uh, imbued upon a, a composer back then. Um, obviously there's still a lot of trust that they, they put on them today but um, but in terms of the initial stage of composing and, and mocking up the, the score um, they're they're given a little bit more of a, a good idea these days of what what the eventual products going to sound like when you when you get to the scoring stage um, so uh, so Michael, when he's writing, is already essentially orchestrating. He's, he's writing the music for the orchestra. If he's hearing uh, you know, a melody and he wants it played by the French horns, it's going to be put on a French horn track on his sequencer. Um, and when I get the audio demo of that, I'm going to hear French horn playing. Um, and if that wasn't clear enough, uh, he also includes marker notes. Um, and marker notes are uh, locked to the, uh, the timeline of the score, um, to, the, to the bar and beat, basically. So if something's needing a little further explanation, I get, I get a note from him, a written out verbal note about uh, um, sort of what he's going for. Um, and so given all that information I basically have a very clear roadmap to follow of of what needs to be done to finish notating this for the full ensemble Um, you know he's he's writing very quickly um, so you know maybe clearly everybody's supposed to be playing in this one section so the the orchestrator's responsibility is to make sure everybody has something to do so whether that means like adding a a tuba part or, um, uh, filling out the uh, woodwind section a little bit more, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. And, um, yeah, there's also translation issues. There's things that, that work really well on the computer sound like they're going to work really well on the computer, but maybe with live players, it's not, not going to be quite um, as efficient. So, um, I'm, I'm taking, all of my experience that I have about working with live musicians and um, and sort of judging how to best do something so that uh, Michael's intention is is going to sing through in the best way um, when we get to the scoring stage. Um, so uh, so I'll, I'll 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 notate the the cue. I'll, I'll get all the the dynamics, all the expressive markings. You know, create this final full score. Uh, created um, and I'll send that file to a, uh, a music copyist and and uh, this is sort of what I started doing when I first started working with Michael what I was describing before which was creating all the parts and so the copyists on a on a big film uh, they'll, they'll be working usually with a team of people um, and uh, and Michael's been working with um, uh, 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 Booker Booker White who uh, uh, works on the Disney lot um, in Burbank. Uh, he has a big, big office there with, with a team of people, and they're just incredible. They, uh, they'll, they'll take apart an entire uh, you know, piece of music very quickly and create all the parts, and their job is not just to do the computer work of that, but also the, the printing and the binding and the uh, librarian aspect of, of physically bringing the copies of the music to, to the scoring stage. Um, and then on the scoring stage, uh, I'm, I'm there with, with Michael, um, and we play through the music with the orchestra and, and then Mike, Michael will make his, uh, his final adjustments, uh, with also the director there, um, they're, they're hearing sort of the final, final product of, of, of what Michael's written. And so maybe there's still adjustments that they want to make, uh, you know, tweaking things here and there before, uh, before we sign off on it. So it's a it's a very elaborate process with many moving parts, but uh, you know we stay stay really really organized, and uh, um, you know any uh, one film probably has somewhere around uh, you know if it's a big you know like John Carter kind of kind of movie that probably had oh gosh you know 100 minutes 120 minutes of music at least I'm sure um, so. Yeah, it's a lot of music that has to get written and recorded and we recorded over several days with the orchestra. Yeah, so it's a, it's a really really fun fun thing to, you know, see how quickly it happens and you know, the different states that the the music goes through before, you know, suddenly it's, it's a bunch of dots on a page and then the the musicians are bringing it to life, you know, a hundred piece orchestra and everybody's, you know, doing this, working all together to create this, this final, final thing. That's just, it's, it's really remarkable. It it never, never gets old to me, the,
1: the process. It's a, it's really a lot of fun. Your passion is so evident in you talking about the process, and I I really appreciate how you were very thorough in describing all those different facets. It really sounds like, based on what you illustrated, that essentially Michael is the one establishing the foundation, and through that you are able to add your own level of musical expertise and put some of the bells and whistles in um, incorporating different instruments. Is that a a fair way of viewing yeah
0: it. it's it's sort of like uh uh he's sort of giving me the blueprints of how to build the house and uh you know i'm um having a uh you know this gradual process of, uh, of of taking those and uh, and and uh, sort of following through with them um and uh you know definitely at this point we've worked on many projects over the years so there's a shorthand you develop with each other and um you know, the state that, uh, that the music comes to me in from him is it's so clear what his intentions are. Um, his music is, is very organized. Uh, it's very, um, uh, 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 just, just very well laid out and very clear. And, um, there's never any question in my mind, like what direction I need to go in or what, what needs to be done. I've, I've never once, Found myself calling him up saying hey what are you doing here in this bar this doesn't make any sense <laughs> it's all um all, all very very well done um and uh you know that just helps move the process along really efficiently because uh it's a lot of music that you're getting through in a very condensed short time span and uh, you don't want to have lots of questions or uh you know lots of uh it's, it's things that just slow the process down. There just isn't isn't time for that, quite frankly. So, um, yeah, we we tend to be very efficient, and um, uh, yeah, it's a a really incredible thing that I, I I feel so so fortunate that I get to do it.
1: Well, oh, and I sense through this process your own musical stamp is also on the final product in terms of the film scores that we all listen to and enjoy on notably disney uh we actually dedicated a couple of episodes to the music of michael g kino over the years for the walt disney company and i i'm not sure if in being involved in this process if you have any favorite tracks that uh, you have been involved in developing i know my favorite is from Tomorrowland penultimate Mm -hmm. experience, I feel is uh, that five minute track when Casey enters the world of Tomorrowland is one of the finest pieces of film music that I've heard in recent years.
0: Such a great piece of music, isn't it? Um, Really the whole score for Tomorrowland, I I really, really enjoyed. Oh, and that sequence is so cool, isn't it? It's the way it it's it's done in one shot, you know. It, it, it just takes you takes you through Tomorrowland, um, and the music just has such a great build, um, you know. That's that would probably be on my list of of favorites. I I don't know if I personally have a favorite. I definitely feel like what we did with Coco was 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 really incredible. The the crossing the the marigold bridge sequence definitely felt like a highlight to me. Mm. Um, very emotional moment uh
1: and a great chance to sort of use use the orchestra oh yeah i can imagine you have a (laughs) library of different tracks to to sort through and thinking back on on that point i'd love to really dive into your work for the imagineering story jeff could you Mm -hmm. explain how you were enlisted to compose the score for this because Mm -hmm. this is by, by all intensive purposes this is a really monumental project yes it was it was it's
0: epic in scope but it was probably one of the hardest things i think i've ever done um yeah how did it come to me uh so the um uh usual process for um you know new uh uh for new shows is um Usually they'll have several composers in mind, uh, the, the filmmakers, um, and then the, those composers, they'll, they'll get asked if they're interested. Um, and so I, was, I happened to be one of them. They, uh, they asked me if I was interested, um, probably from my, uh, they knew me from my, my work with Michael. We had done some music for the theme parks, but obviously also a lot of music just for Disney in general. Um, and, uh, and so they asked me to write some demos for them. Uh, And so it's it's basically an audition process that you go through, where you um, you sort of uh, you meet with the filmmakers. uh, They see if it's you know the relationship is is going to be a good fit or not, um, and uh, and then they have you write some music and and see if your musical voice is going to go well with the story that they're trying to tell. Um, And so that's that's the process that I went through. I um, I I I demoed uh, the main theme. For for them and wrote several versions of it we kind of went back and forth you know no one's ever going to expect that necessarily you're going to nail it you know 100% the first you know go at it um you're it's it's a process of uh, on any project of, of finding what the right sound is going to be for any any particular film or or series so um, we went back and forth a little bit and I, I, I did, did some revisions and, and eventually they, they decided that they they wanted, wanted me to do it, which I was, I was very grateful and, and uh, um, really happy. But also I knew that it was going to be a lot of work. It was uh, you know, it's six episodes um, and each episode is an hour long and there's a lot of music that needed to be written for this series. And not just that, but uh, a lot of different kinds of music that that the series really needed because of this the time span of the the subject matter of a lot of different things uh that uh, uh you know a normal project uh, wouldn't necessarily have have entailed this this kind of wide span of of, of different styles of music um so I think that was something they were, were concerned with initially, was, was finding a composer that could do all of that. Um, and so part of my demoing process was sort of demoing not just the main theme, but also some other scenes throughout the, the series that sort of showed the, um, the variety of music that we could,
1: we could achieve. Well, and I f- feel like that opening theme is very transportive in that you, I feel like I'm being moved into a Disney world with with some whimsy and wonderment mm-hmm. and what, what what types of qualities or characteristics were you hoping to get out of crafting that intro
0: yeah that was probably one of the hardest parts of the show actually to be honest was finding exactly the right kind of tone to set um, because on one hand you know it's Disney and so you you come to it thinking, um, that there should be this sort of whimsical, magical element there. Um, and I had done uh, some versions of the, the main title that were along those lines and, and little else. <laughs> um, it was just a little bit too much. Just It was all magic and uh, um, uh, sort of lighthearted, uh, fun uh, kind of feeling. And that didn't really work because that's not the story that they were you know, really interested in telling. Um, you know, with Imagineering, it's, uh, it's sort of half that it's half the imagination aspect of what they do. Um, but it's also the, the technical aspect. Um, and so having that all kind of be about the creative process of, of combining of marrying those, 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 Two disciplines, sort of the uh, um, the magic of the parks, but also just the technical know-how and engineering know-how that it takes to create them, um, and and thinking about what that creative process must be like for this team of people um, is eventually how I sort of settled on what the music ended up becoming. Um, it has this sort of pulse-driven drive. Um, which for me is sort of like the, the wheels churning of the, uh, of the creative process of, you know, people contemplating, you know, new ideas that nobody would ever think of thinking of. <laughs> and, uh, and then, um, other elements like, uh, perhaps like there's harpsichord in it. Um, there's human voice, there's a lot of kind of bell-like percussion sounds, um, that's maybe more of the, uh, the fantastical, the, uh, the, uh, the fantasy element that you get from, uh, uh, thinking about what it's like to go to, uh, you know, to the Disney parks. Um, so it was a tricky balance to, to figure that out. And it's not something that came immediately. It's something that we, uh, we worked on and, uh, just uh, dis- many, many discussions with, with Leslie Iwerks, the, The the director of the series and uh, um, but we we found it I think eventually I'm I'm really really happy with how that particular aspect of the show uh, turned out and as you watch the series as as you know um, it's a recurring idea that comes back again and again at the beginning of, of each episode always in a slightly different different way building up into the into the title cards
1: yeah, it kind of reminds me, as I was watching this and I was thinking back to other documentary series and miniseries, it made me think instantly of Blake Neely's work for CNN for the different decades and uh-huh. recently the movies. That I feel like there are some parallels in terms of um, the qualities that at least I interpreted as a listener.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's definitely one that came up in, in our discussions um, uh
1: trying to think of others
0: perhaps, but yeah, it definitely felt like it needed to have this kind of, you know, bubbling percolating of ideas kind of quality to it. Um, and it needed to have tension and drive, but not too much, you know, it needed, it, it also needed the, 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 softer aspects of it too. the, um, just kind of balance out the, the feeling of, of what the Imagineering story actually is, you know, what the Imagineering's process is.
1: So speaking of processes, what was it like to actually develop pieces of music for each of the episodes? What well, what did that resemble in terms of creative freedom and taking inspiration from some of the content that would be illustrated in visual form? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah, I, I I tried to approach this uh, as I would any project, and, and really start with you know what's what's the story behind this uh, you know this series what what's what's the story that these filmmakers are are, are trying to tell, and um, you know what I sort of locked onto eventually was uh, although I felt like the series needed to have a musical identity. it it needed, this identity needed to shift over the course of the series as we, we passed through time, um, and also explored different areas, you know, um, the, the music that's written for, um, uh, for Disneyland is going to feel different than the music that's, that's written for the magic kingdom and, and, and Walt Disney world. Um, the music that's written for Epcot is, is going to feel different um, for the animal kingdom, you know, you're kind of taken into all these different mindsets um, or, or geographical locations with, with these worlds. Um, so I felt like the music needed to reflect those changes on some level, um, but not too much. It still needed to feel cohesive and uh, and needed to feel like it was all of a piece. So this was a really tricky balance to, to set, <laughs> I, I felt. Um, and the way that I, I, I got into to doing that was by altering the instrumentation or the orchestration of, of each of these areas, um, I could I could maybe keep a set of themes that sort of represented the core idea of who the Imagineers were overall um, and what their mission was their, their mission statement, um, but sort of dress it up in these different guises and in, in these different um, in these different forms so uh, in in ways of instrumentation or arrangement um, to sort of reflect these these you know, changing times or, or changing locales. Um, yeah, it was was a really, really tricky thing to do. Um, but if you sort of take in the series as a whole, my hope is, is that you you kind of, you latch into what some of these thematic ideas are. Um, there's there's a, a theme that I wrote for um, what I sort of envisioned as like the uh, um, uh, sort of the imaginary spirit or what's the What's the meaning behind what it is these guys do, um, and that initially started with what the the dream of Walt Disney was in building Disneyland. So as you watch the series, you hear this theme come back uh, here and there, um, whenever that uh, emotion is being, um, or whenever that theme, whenever that uh, idea in in the story is being uh, is 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 being represented on screen. So. Sort of to, to score this somewhat light motivically, uh, as uh, as uh, you know the uh, the great composers did, like like John Williams did with Star Wars or um, Korngold did with, uh, um, uh, with with Robin Hood. Um, it's a, it's sort of an old-fashioned way of doing it, but um, I find to be very very helpful in in terms of of helping convey the musical story. On top of the uh, the actual story of the
1: of the series, that's very interesting. And one thing I was thinking of as you were speaking was you referenced earlier the idea of with the main theme for it to almost be like the wheels turning in the Imagineer's head, and mm-hmm. similarly that being illustrated and um, how it was created. I, I was thinking back too to the idea of that. It's everything's very cyclical and iterative in the world of Imagineering, like good ideas never die, certain concepts reemerge. And I feel like similarly, as you harken back to different uh, interpretations of the main theme and others, it's mm-hmm. also reinforcing that idea.
0: Yep. Yeah. One, one thing that you get. Uh, when you sort of stand back from this series, uh, as I did when I was working on it, I realized I, I needed, I'd, I'd gotten so focused on sort of writing cue by cue by cue. Um, and then one, one day I kind of found myself, you know, I need to maybe just take a step back and sort of look at the big picture here. Because this series, while it's six individual hour-long episodes uh, telling the Imagineering story, it really is one long uh, epic story, really. Um, and uh, like any good story, it, it has motifs that, uh, that recur, that you find things happening on many different levels uh, uh, throughout the entire storyline. Um, so that's something that I, at that point, definitely knew that I needed to <laughs> to be very aware of that um, and, uh, and, and make sure that I was following those different story beats as they happened, um, yeah. Taking taking a bird's eye view of of the whole series was uh, a really really neat revelation. When it uh when, once I had sort of been able to digest everything because it is it's it's six hours it's it's long, <laughs> um, and it's a lot of music that needs to get written. It's so easy um, when you're working on on something like that. I think to get really uh, uh, wrapped up in, in the details of, of the moment and, and sort of forget the big picture. So keeping that in mind was was a really important lesson for me.
1: So how much material did you ultimately record and how much of that would eventually surface in the final product?
0: You know, that's, that's a good question. I don't know if I have an exact number, but it probably is somewhere around three to four hours of music that I wrote and recorded. Um, obviously there's a lot of music, uh, and actually really one of the real fun things to get to do on this project was, um, to write the music sort of weaving in and out of all this source music. That's the music from the parks. Every episode has, um, many instances of music that you're hearing. That's literally the, the music that you would hear on this ride or that ride. Um, or music that plays uh, when you're walking through um, uh, the parks. So, uh, you know, not everything that's in there is, is something that I wrote, obviously, but uh, it's, it's weaving this pathway through all these different pieces of music so that they all kind of coalesce and, and become this, this one experience of, of, of watching this documentary. Um, yeah, finding finding a good way to do that uh, was one of the uh, the challenges, but also a really fun thing to do because you're you're uh, you're putting your own music up against all these you know classic songs and, and musical numbers from really from my childhood. Like I said, I almost every every uh, uh, family vacation we took was was to Walt Disney World, so I definitely knew a lot of this music really well. Um, so to, to to sort of put my voice up against all of that and um, and work with it sort of in, in harmony sometimes was was really a lot of fun.
1: Well, and as a viewer and listener, I, I know as I'm watching it, I'm thinking to myself, everything feels harmonious. It all it all seems to fit together because as you indicated, you have a sense of the music of the Disney theme parks. You're incorporating your own um, interpretation of what's fitting and, and discussing the Imagineers. Experiences, it all it all fits, which mm-hmm. is really satisfying to listen to. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah, it was
0: definitely definitely
1: not easy, but but it
0: was really fun sort of working on that challenge of of making it try to feel cohesive and uh, all of a piece, um, so that it's not so
1: jarring to to go back and forth between these different um, sources of music. Very cool. Well, I think my final question for you as it pertains to this, and we'll head into those final set of Disney questions, Jeff, do you have a sense of if the score for the Imagineering story will be publicly released? Because I know a lot of people would want to have a copy of it at some point. Um, that I don't know for certain. I know that we're
0: working on it. Uh, um, it's something uh, uh, that I think we're going to be discussing uh uh with the the film filmmaking team because i am sure that they want to do something it would be great to have a release uh of of not just my score but but also some of this uh this park music um yeah i know, know some of it isn't isn't easily available so um yeah i, I don't have a good answer for you on that one though, uh, as far as knowing uh when or if that,
1: specifically if that'll happen Gotcha. Well, I can say there's probably demand for it because I know us Disney connoisseurs love uh, consuming whatever we can get our hands on, especially Mm -hmm. when it's really strong content. So, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm I'm really just finding this to be a top-notch Disney documentary, and I'm so glad that we all finally can enjoy it whenever and wherever we want on Disney+. Oh, that's
0: so great, isn't it? Yeah, I feel so fortunate and lucky Uh, to have worked on it um it really really meant a lot to me uh and uh um yeah the 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 story that that Leslie kind of was was bringing uh Leslie Iwerks the director was bringing to uh uh to the table here is is a story that I, I feel like had never really properly been told um even though some of this information had been out um it just, it, it was, and it's such a perfect uh, story to be told on Disney Plus. You know, this platform where you can put all this this material, um, and uh, and like you said, you've been been watching it and rewatching it. It's it's definitely a a, a series I think that will will benefit benefit from uh, uh, from replays because um, you'll you get you know, a whole other layer of appreciation or notice things that uh, you maybe hadn't noticed the first time on the second viewing or third viewing. Um, I know that was certainly uh, something that, uh, that that I I noticed uh, having worked on it, that there's just so much information uh, in this series and um, covers so many different aspects um, of the Imagineering story. Um, and uh yeah, I just uh, um, I really hope that uh, people will continue coming to it and uh, and uh, revisiting it, yeah, not just having watched it once, but hopefully several times. And yeah, I'll let you know if if, uh, if there's any news about the uh, uh, about the soundtrack release. I um, I know it's something that we're working on.
1: Very cool. Well, let's shift to some Disney-related questions. Of the segment that. Mm-hmm. I call Ask My Questions and Get Some Answers, quoting Ariel uh, from The Little Mermaid. So I'm interested, Jeff, in learning about your thoughts and experiences as it pertains to music and books. Mm -hmm. So first up is a music question. What Disney soundtrack did you listen to most while growing up? I know you mentioned a few earlier, but was there one that you just constantly was listening to again and again?
0: Oh, that's a good question. It was probably The Lion King. I think I
1: it was one of the first CDs
0: um, that my uh, uh, family bought, soundtrack CDs that my family bought for me. Um, I would have been probably like 10 when that that movie came out. Um, pretty much listened to that incessantly, I think. Uh, that and uh, I think if there were, would have been any others... Um, in that early stage yeah Pocahontas I know that we listened to that a lot too um yeah and then later uh with Pixar I I, I did listen to a lot of the uh, um uh the Randy Newman scores like for Toy Story and Bugs Life is a great great score that he wrote Finding Nemo, um Thomas Newman uh, uh were scores that I listened to quite a bit yeah so it would have probably been those. I, I think the Lion King, though, just because I was at that point in your life when you know you just get never get tired of listening to something over and over for some reason when you're a kid. So <laughs> yeah, I I, I listened to that one not pretty much nonstop. I
1: remember when it came out. Well, and so significant for a decade later for Hans Zimmer to hold your own work in such high esteem. So
0: that, that was definitely a. I, one of my first dreams come true and <laughs> <I was getting laughs> yeah and at that point too i also uh you know lion king was probably one of the first scores of his that i i heard because i was was younger um but i also at that point had gotten to know um, the pirates of the caribbean and uh, and some of the other uh, scores that he had written for uh, uh, other films since then uh he's definitely a composer that I admired a lot growing up and forming my own musical sensibilities and tastes.
1: Yeah. Very cool. Uh, next up, what Disney song most recently got stuck in your head? Hmm. Well, I know that I
0: worked on it, but, (laughs) uh, probably remember me from Coco. I just think that's such a, a perfectly written and crafted song Um, and so perfect for, for the movie, um, you know, telling the story aspect of the movie. Um, yeah, that would, that would probably be the the one that I would choose.
1: That's, that's a great one. What Disney film do you feel is the most underrated music? It could even be, it could even be one of your own. (laughs) (laughs) Um, that's a good question. Underrated.
0: Um, hmm. I'll have to think about this one oh. You know I feel like not enough people these days tend to talk about or appreciate a lot of the older Disney music that was written uh, particularly like um, Uh, you know, the scores for like Peter Pan or uh, uh, Snow White or Sleeping Beauty. Um, You know, Peter Pan in particular, I was listening to recently um, and also is in in the Imagineering story. I just feel like uh, people tend to forget like how great some of that music really was. Um, Maybe it's just time, you know, people, you know, just accept something as, as being, being a classic and then it's, a classic and you just never never go back to it or think about it again but i i really get a lot out of listening to to that score in particular i don't know if it's necessarily underrated necessarily but i know that it it doesn't get talked about these days as much as as some of the other stuff um just by nature of it being older i guess yeah
1: well it's a beautiful one by oliver wallace and really capturing that that piece of peace and time too it's very much uh you're transported to to that era of disney history to yeah, how it all sounds that flute flute motif the flute oh costume. it's so yes. so perfect and gorgeous and you know nobody writes
0: for choir in that way anymore like they did uh back then and the, the choir writing the choral writing in, in peter pan is just so gorgeous um yeah i i, I really admire that score a lot. Um, I don't know. What, what would you say is your your choice for <laughs> underrated score? You feel like
1: people don't uh, talk about enough. Or... So the, uh, I, uh, now you turn the tables on me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm just curious. I'm trying to
0: think. Like, what else would would I might try to think of?
1: Uh... So I would say. It's, I'm glad you mentioned Bugs Life. I think that's a great score. That doesn't get a whole lot of attention. Yeah. Um, the, I always think of the city uh, the city theme when Flick enters that uh, New York-like environment and how that has just such a bustling, uh, energetic, uh, bombastic theme to it. I just love it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and not to make you feel awkward, but I would actually say that tomorrowland is is probably right up there i don't know why that hasn't gotten enough love Mm -hmm. um it's it's really i I, i've listened to that score so many times because and and so many different contexts too and i have the sheet music and Mm -hmm. i just absolutely love some of those themes and motifs in there
0: oh thank you yeah it was such a great project to work on and me too i i really loved the movie um I feel like uh, I feel like the movie was just such an excellent, excellent movie that that Brad Bird made, and uh, you know that was the first film I think that I was uh, a part of, uh, sort of a full part of the process on with with uh, being on the scoring stage for the entire duration of all the sessions, and um, uh, and I, at, at that point I hadn't seen the full movie from start to finish. But when you're on the scoring stage and you're recording, you're, you're basically jumping around the, the timeline of the movie. You know, maybe you record the end, you know, the ending scene first, and then you jump to some place in the middle and then, Oh, we need to go back and get this thing. And you're, you're just jumping all over the place. And when you're recording, you're, you're watching the movie on the screen, but you're never hearing the dialogue. Because um, it's all about, you know, how is this fitting with the, uh, with the visuals, really? And you don't want to be bothered by the the other sounds from from the film when you're recording, just to make sure that you're getting a you know a, a good take with the orchestra. Um, and just from the visuals alone, um, and jumping around the film, uh, you know, all over the place, um, from that week of recording sessions, I remember just having such a clear picture in my mind, what this movie was about, what the story was um, and what the message was. Um, Cause it's just so wonderfully told just as a visual element, uh, you know, the visual language and, and the musical language just together. You, there's no question to me what the, you know, the, the, the point of the story is and the, um, the message that the story has. It's such a, Really wonderful, powerful message. So yeah, I, I I appreciate that one. Thank you so much
1: for for mentioning it. Oh, it's I, I'm like I've always been so emphatic about that movie and what it represents, and similarly the score. I feel is a, a major piece in, in telling that story. I I could say I could talk about Tomorrowland with you for hours, but <laughs> <laughs> I want to be mindful of of our time. So on the book front, I'm wondering, Jeff if you had the opportunity to write a book that's related to Disney on any topic, what would it be about?
0: Hmm. Well, you know, having just worked on the Imagineering story, um, I don't think I would necessarily be qualified, but I would love to see a, you know, a, a, a sort of a narrative uh, storytelling of, of the Imagineers in book form. I think that that would work really, really well. Um, yeah. Yeah. You, uh, you wouldn't necessarily need to be like a companion piece to the, uh, uh, to the documentary. Cause I think the documentary you know, tells its story so well, but I feel like there's, there's probably you could go very in depth with, you know, individual Imagineers and sort of tell their stories. Um, you know, the sort of thing that you can kind of only just get into the surface level detail of um, with, with the documentary. Um, you know, I would love to know more about, um, you know, Walt's uh, sort of impetus was behind, behind Disneyland and, and get into more detail with that. And, uh, and then just, yeah, meeting and getting to learn about these Imagineers, you know, these incredible people that that do this it's a, a so so great the, the great thing about this this documentary is it's sort of like giving them their 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 time to sort of shine because usually they're you know kind of behind the curtain uh you know of uh of, of the parks and uh um you, you're not necessarily seeing uh you know like an actor you're seeing their performance on screen but with them their performance is is the parks themselves and so getting to learn what their story is i think is is one of the really great things about this series um, so you could you could get even more in depth i think with the um with a, a book form a narrative of 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 the imagineers um mm-hmm. yeah i mean that, i think that's probably what i would
1: say uh, that'd be really cool. Well, there's definitely a lot of books emerging right now on different aspects of imagineering or particular imagineers, but mm-hmm. something that would be really a good cohesive uh, encapsulation of the whole history would be really interesting. your role you could you could write the score for the audiobook version so <laughs> there we go. <laughs>
0: yeah I was, I was listening to an audiobook recently that had a had a score, you know some of them, uh some audiobooks are just the the, the narration of, you know the, the the audiobook narrator um and then others have have music in them and and I was I was really impressed with the music that was written <laughs> i have had no no idea that uh, uh that that was a thing <laughs> um but uh yeah help help narratively kind of tell the story in the same way that you know music does in film and um and uh, the, the narration, it, it reminded me, I guess, of like some of those old radio plays that I, I had heard um, uh, archival recordings of because um, some of those had had scores, too. It's really an interesting cinematic experience that you get to have in your head, <laughs> um, when, especially when you add that layer of, of the music, since we're so in tune with that when we're when we're watching watching movies and having a score kind of help tell the story.
1: Yeah absolutely. <laughs> so so your final uh, Disney question this is a random one that I mix up with every guest. So I'm wondering, Jeff, what Disney theme park attraction would you want to create new music for if it required a refreshed or updated score? So existing
0: existing theme park attraction? uh yes. that's being updated so i've i've already done one which was the uh the Incredicoaster coaster with michael jacchino um that was at disney california adventure um where they uh, they they basically uh, uh redesigned the the layout of the uh the design of the uh of the track and put an incredibles theme into the ride of course Yep, and so we recorded that score last last year. Um, but yeah, another one uh, came along, you know. Well, there is the Ratatouille ride in, in Paris, which has a great score that, that Michael uh, wrote based on the music from the, the movie. And I wish that that ride was, was in other other parks, too. I would really love to get a chance to ride that because I haven't been to Disneyland Paris. It's uh, actually
1: coming to Epcot next oh, it, Oh, yeah,
0: great. Yeah, that, oh, that's perfect. Yeah, probably in the uh, in the world showcase, right?
1: Yeah, I'll be in the France pavilion.
0: Yeah, there you go. So, um, hmm, yeah, I'll have to think. You know, uh, it's hard because you uh, you love the, um, especially me having grown up going to the parks. You sort of love the experience of the nostalgia of being able to go and you know ride this ride or that ride with the. Um, the music that you remember from, from your childhood. Um, hmm. It would be really fun to do like, um, I don't remember if there's any music on the jungle cruise or not, but it would be really fun to do like a, a score, like a really you know bombastic kind of orchestral score for the jungle cruise. <laughs> um, you know sort of in the style of like a like a max steiner kind of king kong kind of score or something um
1: that's interesting you, you say oh i'm sorry go ahead Uh oh,
0: do, do you know i can't i can't remember if that if that ride it does it doesn't it, have
1: it any does music,
0: right
1: no there's some there's some background audio um in, in different parts like in, and in the queue there's some like classic uh scores from the early 20th century or kind of illustrative of that era but um actually for the uh, what i was going to say jeff for the forthcoming jungle cruise film with uh dwayne johnson and emily blunt james right. newton how james newton howard is tapped to write the score for that mm-hmm. so when you said king kong it made me think oh he did king kong in 05
0: <laughs> yeah and and with the you know, with the same kind of feeling of of I don't want to say updating, but basically, uh, you know, writing in that kind of vernacular, uh, of the, of the Max Steiner score. It's, it's one of my all time favorite scores, the, the original King Kong, um, really like the forefront, like the, 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 um, the grandfather, if you will, of, of, of modern film scoring, um, sort of setting, uh, and establishing a lot of the, this, Idea of writing light motifs for for characters and, and and ideas in terms of musical storytelling and um yeah it's it's one of my all time favorite scores it's such a it's such a brilliant score and all of the the entire score is based on this uh, basically one descending chromatic mo- motive um, and depending on how uh it it you know the context changes throughout the the score it can be used as the love theme it's used as king kong's theme it's it's all over the place um and and really really neat idea that max steiner had to to do that for that movie
1: very cool yeah. so well we'll we'll mark you down for jungle cruise then if they ever need a <laughs> If they need a score for the attraction, tap sure. Jeff <laughs> Happy to do it. <laughs> Finally, Jeff, how can listeners follow your work and or get in touch with you on social media or online?
0: Um, probably the best way is I'm not super active on social media. Um, but if anybody ever wants to get in touch with me, probably through my website's the easiest Um uh, there's a, a place to email me through my website um, I, I don't have a Twitter or anything, I do have a Facebook but I, I, I hardly ever use it um, so uh, yeah, probably probably the website's the, the best way if anybody ever wants to get in touch with me or reach out to me Can you remind folks of the website? Oh sure, it's uh, uh, www.jeffcrickamusic.com.
1: Uh, all, all one word. Perfect. Jeff, it's been an absolute pre- pleasure. And I'm, I'm so appreciative of the Imagineering story, your work, and ultimately that we all get to listen to your, your pieces in, in so many different contexts. Whether it be uh, you know via, like you mentioned, the Incredicoaster through Jaquino or the films or now the Imagineering story. There's a lot of places and I very much value your time. So thank you again. Yeah. Thank you, Brett. So as you can tell, Jeff is a really fascinating and talented gentleman. He was really such a pleasure to talk with. Thank you again for taking the time to be on Notably Disney, Jeff. Uh, You're welcome back anytime. And yeah, let's lead the campaign to see the Imagineering Story soundtrack to be released. It would be great to have that audio readily accessible because... Indeed, that score takes a lot of different flavors, depending on the tone of the series and also different areas of the parks that are illustrated. So I would encourage you, if you watch the documentary, watch it again, pay extra close attention to how Jeff's score is integrated into the various scenes and periods of Disney history, sometimes uh, very exhilarating and sometimes even a bit contentious. And I feel the mood really captures it quite well. And that theme um both the opening theme that is pretty consistent across all the episodes but with some little touches and then the closing credits which certainly vary are are just pleasures to, to listen to so uh thank you again jeff and yeah let's let's see that soundtrack come to fruition fingers crossed thanks again for joining me on another episode of notably disney i invite you to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review Follow me on Twitter at bnachmanreports, that's B-N-A-C-H-M-A-N, reports, and be among the first to find out about the release of new episodes. I also encourage you to send me an email to NotablyDisney at gmail.com regarding your thoughts of the show, as well as suggestions for content. So until we turn the page on another chapter, I'm Brett, and thanks for listening to Notably Disney.